As we turn to our scripture reading, I invite you to read along with me in your bulletin or open up a Bible from the pew in front of you to Isaiah chapter 11, verse through 10. Verse 1 through 10, excuse me. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm very thankful for our musicians today, for this morning, and for this afternoon. I know it's a very, very busy day for them, and I'm so thankful for the beautiful music. I'm thankful for uh, the decorations around the sanctuary as well, and to those of you that assisted and and made that happen, I'm thankful. And I'm also thankful, Caroline and Caleb, for y'all's presence today, especially since Caleb was at a beautiful, beautiful game yesterday. And uh, (laughs) Caleb, I'll never question your commitment. You're here today. Um, I'm thankful also for Connor, for last week, for introducing us to Isaiah through Buddy the Elf. It was very creative. And also for making the very bold assertion that Elf is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Very, very bold. And that's coming from a guy, I think you saw Christmas Vacation last weekend for the first time. So I know you've got some work, but Elf is really good. Now, if you missed it, Connor shared that Buddy the Elf who is so steeped in true Christmas joy and generosity and cannot see life through any other lens but the reality of Christmas, Isaiah, like him, is also steeped in the true reality and knowledge of the living God. Isaiah cannot see life through any other lens but through the reality of God. And when faced with mediocrity and corruption, whether having to do with Christmas or the reign of God on earth, neither Isaiah nor Buddy can help but be who they are And call the world to something true and different. And so, Connor, I'm taking a page out of your book, because I too am going to start with a Christmas movie, also a Will Ferrell Christmas movie, (laughs) uh, called Spirited. And raise your hand if you've seen this movie. It's fairly recent, the movie Spirited. Why it's saying it's really good. Um, Adair and I watched it a a week or two ago, and I'm not going to call it the best Christmas movie by any means, but I did really enjoy it. And that comes from somebody 
who loves every movie. I've never seen a bad one, so just take that how you will. Now, Spirited stars Will Ferrell as the ghost of Christmas present, and he serves on a team alongside the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas future under the leadership of CEO Jacob Marley, and they've continued their work in visiting bad people during the holidays to basically do the whole Scrooge thing and turn them good. In fact, there's this whole business in the afterlife dedicated to making the alive people good. And of course, Will Ferrell, as the ghost of Christmas present, is not unlike his character in Elf. He believes the best about everybody. He loves his work and the redemption that can take place at Christmas. And at one point, he meets a character named Clint Briggs, who's played by Ryan Reynolds. And Clint is not a good person. (laughs) He's an advertiser, and he wants to do everything he can to satisfy his clients. And by by doing that, he has to sow discord and fear. And he's hired by companies everywhere to alienate people, all for the sake of money. And so naturally, Will Ferrell, the ghost of Christmas present, he's drawn to this guy. And he says to the board, to all the other ghosts, I want to turn Clint good. I want Clint to be our next client. And the board looks at Will Ferrell, looks at the ghost of Christmas present, and says, that's impossible. You can't go after Mr. Briggs' redemption. And he says, well, why not? And they, they get the file folder out. They throw it on the table. And right there on the file folder, in bold, red, stamped letters, is the word unredeemable. He can't go after Mr. Briggs because he cannot be redeemed. Of course, the next two hours of a movie uh, is spent Will Ferrell trying to redeem this character. The Ghost of Christmas Present tries to find ways to turn Clint good and to redeem this unredeemable character. Now, for those of you that have read Isaiah, particularly the first 10 chapters, you might, you just might get the same picture about the people of Israel. They have abandoned the Lord. They despise the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on God. They are a vineyard, and despite all that God has done to tend it, they have produced nothing but bad fruit. They're biased in judgment against the orphan and the widow. Their offerings are useless because their hearts aren't in it. Their politics are corrupt and their hearts are wicked. And I believe that if they were offered to the Spirit's board, to the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, I'm pretty certain that on Israel's file folder you would see the same bold red stamped letters, unredeemable. And Isaiah, similar to the ghost of Christmas present, serves as a mouthpiece. He's the prophet, the messenger, attempting to bring awareness to the path they are on, although Isaiah is not as kind, I think, as Will Ferrell. (laughs) His message is not as joyful and rose-colored. God calls Isaiah and he says, go, call the people out, the king and the elite. Let them know that I've seen their arrogance and haughtiness and I'm going to bring judgment against them. And at times you may want to stop, but don't stop. Keep announcing judgment, but also be aware that these announcements will probably just harden their hearts further. And so that's what Isaiah does. And if you read these verses, if you read verses uh, one, if you read chapters 1 through 10 before our passage this morning, you come to realize that Isaiah really does bring the words of judgment against the people of Israel, but he does so with metaphors. And one of his favorite is that of a tree. Now, to be honest, the Old Testament writers love tree imagery. 
They love imagery having to do with nature, gardens, grass, fruit, seeds, growth, trees. And it makes sense to me, after all, Scripture begins in a garden with two trees. The climax of the narrative of all Scripture begins in a garden surrounded by trees as Jesus accepts his future. Revelation ends in a garden with what? Trees. Good, you're listening. The angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God, and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, and the leaves were for the healing of the nations. Trees, nature, gardens, they're a huge part of Scripture. And they also surround the story of the building of the house of God, the temple. In 2 Samuel, David captures Zion, the king of Tyre, sends David trees by which to build a new palace. And then David tells God, he says, God... God says, yes. David says, I want to build you a house, a temple of cedar, of trees. And God says, no, I'll build you a house, a family. I will give you a great name and plant you in a place just like a tree, and I will raise up your seed after you. This language echoes God's words in Exodus 15. I'm going to plant them like a tree in the mountain of my inheritance, and the tree imagery even continues into the early book of worship, into the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the one who walks in the way of God. That person is like a tree planted by water whose leaves do not wither. And so Isaiah takes this tree imagery, this plant imagery in his prophecy, and immediately begins pronouncing judgment beginning in chapter 1. He says, you will be like an oak that has withered. And then he continues through the next 10 chapters. The Lord of heavenly forces has planned a day against the prideful, and all lofty will be made low, all the cedars of Lebanon, the oaks of Bashan. The people have not turned back to God, so the Lord will cut off palm branch and reed from Israel. God will send Assyria as the branch of my anger, and I will chop down Israel with an axe. I will destroy its forest, and the trees of the forest will be few. Behold, the Lord God is chopping off the branches With terrible power, the loftiest ones are about to be cut down and exalted, laid low. He will strike the forest thickets with an axe. The Lord will exile the people, and this land will be abandoned. Even if a tenth remain, they will be burned again, just like an oak tree, which when it is cut down, leaves a stump. You can really feel the wrath a little bit, the anger of God in these passages, there will be nothing left of Israel except for a dry, dead stump. And you really start to imagine that perhaps this people, a people that deserves such rhetoric, maybe they really are unredeemable. And then Isaiah says in chapter 11, when destruction has occurred and the wrath and judgment of God against the people has taken place like a forest of trees being chopped down from the stump that's left that is surely dead, a green shoot will sprout from that stump and from its roots a budding branch. Lo, how a rose air blooming from tender stem hath sprung. And that shoot, that new stem of green from a dead stump, that rose from a previously unredeemable ground, dried up and dead, the spirit will be upon the stem, a spirit of wisdom and mercy. And this branch will lead the people of Israel to remember what it is to love the meek and the poor and to live a life of righteousness. And then we're given an image of a new garden, a reordered garden where predator and prey exist in peace. Wolf and lamb, calf and lion, 
cow and bear, snake and child. What's more, as the book of Isaiah continues in the later chapters with similar imagery, Isaiah 27, Israel will sprout and fill the world with fruit. 41, I will open rivers and plant trees. I will grow a new Eden in the wilderness. 53, the arm of Yahweh, the servant grew up as a root from dry ground, a stem from a stump, life from death. And all of Isaiah's doom and gloom and all of this judgment talk and all of the harsh and fiery imagery and in a message that paints Israel as otherwise unredeemable, Isaiah manages to remind us that actually, for all its faults, for all their wickedness and waywardness, for all its brokenness and failures, there is no such thing as being unredeemable. In fact, God says from this lifeless stump, from this dry and dead carcass of what once was from death, I will bring life, a shoot, a new branch. To, to Israel, Isaiah says, God says, you are redeemable and I will redeem you. This forest will be replenished. This dry ground will be green and watered once more. However, it is important to know redemption doesn't always happen overnight. It doesn't always happen quickly. In fact, I'd probably say more often than not, it takes time. Newness from the old, life from death, resurrection and redemption happen slowly. It is a patient business. But the point is not that it occurs quickly or slowly. The point is that it occurs. And you and me, we are not unredeemable. In his book, Just Mercy, Brian Stevenson writes this, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard said it this way, God creates out of nothing, wonderful you say, yes, to be sure, but he does what is still more wonderful. He makes saints out of sinners. He makes something out of nothing. And if God can bring the Savior of mankind out of the dead stump of Israel, if God can redeem the world with a small shoot of life from dry ground, from death, from a stump. Surely God can find a way to redeem you and to redeem me. The house we bought in June had been in the path of the tornado, so of course there are no trees there. We knew that. Adair and I had been talking about planting a tree for a while once we moved in, right there in the front. There's nothing in the front except for grass and now a fence that our dog can jump over, so that's good. <laughs> and sure enough, the time came. So Jesse Tanner, member here, had offered me, he said, anytime you want, need help planting a tree, we can use my truck. And of course, if you ever offer me a truck, <laughs> I'm going to say, sure, I'll find an excuse to need it. So... Jesse and I, we went out to, I think it's Broken Ground in Sonoy, that huge plant nursery. Um, and we looked, at 13, we looked at 15-gallon trees and 30-gallon trees. And a tree, a planting a tree, it's never as big as you think it's, it's going to be. And so I looked at Debbie and I said, Debbie, uh, do you have anything bigger? And she said, yeah. So I just, Adair had told me to get a big tree. So we went to the back and we got a, we got a big tree, one wrapped in burlap and at the bottom, it's amazing how heavy those things are. <laughs> a machine lifted and put it in, in the, put it in the back of Jesse's truck. and We got home, 
And then we spent the next 30 minutes trying to figure out how we were going to get it out of the truck. <laughs> One of our neighbors had been watching out of uh, his kitchen window, and he ran to help us. He was like, before you guys break a femur, let me, let me see if I can assist you. And so we got it down, and we rolled the tree into its hole. We dumped soil and conditioner in the sides. We made it as straight as we could. We covered it with mulch, watered it, and we staked it. Because apparently, even as heavy as that little tree is, it will take a year for those roots to grow into the ground around it. It takes time. And it was certainly a process. It will continue to be a process to help a street and a neighborhood and a city that was once covered in trees restart and replant, to redeem broken ground. Our neighbor, Scott, had said he, had, he was doing that with Plant Noonan that has done an initiative that has planted over 1,400 trees already. And we finished planting our tree, and we, we stood back and we marveled at our work. There was this majestic tree, 10-ish feet tall, and it will grow a whopping 18 inches each year. It was going to take forever to grow, and we'll, we will likely never see the fruition of our work. We won't see what this full-grown oak tree will look like. We will water it and care for it, and others will likely come behind us and see it grow and enjoy it, its shade and probably not enjoy its acorns. But in the midst of our marveling at this young tree that's just at its beginning... I thought of Isaiah. I thought of how little time it takes to chop and to tear it all down. I thought of the destruction of Israel and the stumps of the trees left over, and I thought of a deserted and dry land that seemed unredeemable. And then I remembered a shoot. I thought of a tiny little green stem sprouting from the stump of what had been and what might never be again. And so now, whenever I look out through the front window to see a fence that is jumpable, to see grass, and to see a solitary new tree that sits in the middle of our yard, I think about the times in my life when hardship and storms have caused great pain. I think about the situations that have arisen in my life that seem to decimate the ground, that tear away at the roots and the stems and the leaves and chop down the forest and trees of my life. And when I look at that tree, I know that even in the midst of all that, that nothing is unredeemable. Barbara Lundblad is the preaching professor at Union Seminary, and she ends her comments on Isaiah like this. She says, do not wait for the fragile tree to be full grown. God comes to us in this Advent time and invites us to move beyond counting the rings of the past. God will always keep nudging us to be aware and to keep our eyes open, saying, look, there on that stump, do you see that green shoot growing? Do you see that redemption is happening? I know that God has always been, is now, and will always be working some kind of new growth from the dust, new life from the ashes, a new garden in the desert, and a new tree in a front yard. That is the point of Advent, that God certainly will redeem us, 
But not only that, you see, throughout history, God has been in the act of redeeming humanity to the point of coming to earth to show us what true restoration and redemption look like and to say to us, you are loved, you are going to be okay. Nothing is unredeemable, even to the point of a cross and a tomb. Nothing is unredeemable. Let us pray. Gracious God, we gather in this season to look to the coming of your Son. We look to the past and remember his birth, and we look to the future and acknowledge that we believe he is coming again. We are between two advents. And honestly, sometimes it it gets hard to hold on to hope and to remember the story of redemption. So God, remind us now. Remind us to keep our eyes open to say to one another, look, do you see there on that stump the green shoot growing? And may we live lives in such a way, may we may we live our daily lives in such a way that others might know that we have been redeemed and that we believe that no one is unredeemable. In Jesus' name, amen.